0: Evening. Hello.
1: Hello. Hi all. Welcome Wednesday night generational change. I'm Jen.
0: I'm Peter. And they did recently a top twenty like catchphrases from Seinfeld. And is that is our? Hello.
1: <laughs> but when oh, we do oh. it, it's just first of all, it's it, obviously the young people probably have no clue what that is, like why that's funny. Well, and and plus I feel like we're kind of cheating because we stole it because we didn't like we you didn't know. just come
0: up with the wrong thing. No. Okay, well, uh, yada, 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 we got a show to do this evening, so that one was pretty popular. But as a lot of you know, um, one of our, there are certain main guests that we have on the show, or as I like to say, basically open invitation guests. So if somebody wants to come on that's part of the cool crew, they can basically just, you know, let us know and be like, yeah, you're coming. So... Our good friend, Steve Grumbine of Real Progressives and the Macro and Cheese podcast is joining us this evening because there's been a lot of talk as of late surrounding social security, which, as we all know, is one of the primary issues that is of great concern to a lot of Americans, but very few actually know the premise in which they are actually funded and how they are sustained over time.
1: You mean the it's gonna go bankrupt argument is just fear-mongering. You know, I can remember That's when, so shocking.
0: when Chris Christie ran for president in one of the first Republican debates, that was one of his primary talking points: was how we are running out of money for Social Security. He specifically targeted that. Particular well,
1: issue, right? yeah, because that that is the most fear inducing thing for old people to, to and, and that's who votes like that's that's just strategy. But th- they've been fear mongering about that forever. They've always been threatening that. And then between them and the people wanting to privatize it. Yeah, that's what we need. We We need to we need to further corporatize
0: our system. What we really need to do is learn MMT. Yes so
1: well I, I'm never I feel like it's one of those things like I'm never gonna completely learn it because I just don't I have that many brain cells that I can really donate to it. well let's but say I trust people like Steve like so I just feel like it's a lot of things like there's experts that you rely on mm. that know information that way you don't have to know
0: everything well, I can't well let's say hypothetically you were to run for office again and somehow managed to get elected to Congress I think somebody like Steve Grumbine would be the type of advisor that you would want to have. Is
1: Yeah, like him and Alec Lawson.
0: Yeah, well, there you go. So needless to say, we are huge fans of the gentleman who is part of Real Progressives, has the coolest backgrounds, can't wait to see the one he's rocking this evening, and of course is the host of the Macro and Cheese podcast, and is also a very welcome special guest on Status Quo News. You know him, you love him, Steve Grumbine. Welcome back to Generational Change.
2: Hey, everybody. How are you?
1: Hey.
0: Doing good. It's always
1: good to see you. How's it going?
2: It's going good. It's going good. I'm glad to be here because this subject is really a, a very important one. I think you nailed it. You know, the older generation votes, they do show up in numbers to vote. It's a very important thing. It was instilled generation ago. It matters to them. And Social Security is one of the most important subjects that they have. So... If you're going to try and win an election, if you really believe it's even possible to just sort of randomly win an election, this is a subject you want to be aces on. You really want to understand. you to, be able to you've got to be able to take the fear out of the conversation and just put it in the real, and give people some truth. And uh, I hope that I'm able to make it easy for you, Jen and Peter. To be able to talk about this freely without even wasting a single brain cell, I'll share a hookah with you so we don't even have to worry about brain cells. Let's just ah, let's just take that deep cleansing breath and let it out. And this is going to be easier than you ever thought possible.
0: There is a very important uh, paragraph in The Deficit Myth by Stephanie Kelton, where they were talking to a representative and basically explained modern monetary theory. And the person was like, yeah, I get it, but I can't say that publicly. And so I'm almost wondering... Even when you present somebody with the reality of how our monetary system actually works, it's almost like trying to prove the existence of God. And some people are just going to be like, I don't care if it's true. I don't want to believe it. I don't want to know. And if it's like if I've always believed that Social Security has been funded this way and after all these decades you are telling me that it isn't anything close to what I've been told, "Ah, forget it. I don't I can't accept it. I'm going to believe what I want to believe. Now, do you find that there is a lot of resistance To understanding (laughs) just how actual actual economics works, just like people can't. Listen, I deal with people even here at the local level who do not know the difference between micro and macro economics in terms of funding. Like there is a difference between local and state funding versus federal funding. Like, there's sort of like this right. huge like, no With state
1: understand. stuff, yeah, you got to tax people to get stuff done at the municipal oh, level. Taxes. And, well, that kind <laughs> of stuff comes up and people don't like it, but they do not understand the difference.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, look, Social Security is an important piece of the New Deal. And since the New Deal was passed, people have been trying to repeal the New Deal every day. There's not been a minute gone by, and our good friend Harvey Kay has spoken about, all the stuff FDR did, I, I, you know, as much as I love that stuff, you know, FDR wasn't perfect at all. And in many ways, as a socialist, FDR kind of put our movement on ice by kind of caving into capital and making this feel good thing to keep capitalism alive and well and put all of us socialists back in the, you know, put baby in the corner, so to speak. Right. Um, but this particular thing, the social security thing, this was such a big deal because think about it. We're dealing with Joe Stalin, and the the russians over here they're 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 busy with their communist thing and that's got people scared and fearful of of the red block and the red scare and they a lot of anti-communist stuff going on right and then you have the world war ii scenario coming up shortly thereafter and so you get to see a lot of things unfold after social security you know what i mean and so as we peel back and we just look at what the conditions were that brought social security into play we know we just got out of the great depression people were literally jumping out of windows a stock market crash there was so much going on It was just an awful thing. And FDR strategically put these series of bills in place that became staples of society that we know and love today. And Social Security, obviously being the chief of them, he made it in such a way where people believed they were paying into the system and that at a later date, they'd be able to pull it out because they had skin in the game. And by creating this concept of skin in the game, he thought that he was protecting the program by saying, hey, this isn't a freebie. People are paying into it. they That's their money. They're just getting it out with some interest later on down the road, okay? And so that narrative served them well at the time because at the time they were afraid that the people that thought that was a government handout, that that was a a communist plot or whatever, that this was somehow or another get pulled back and repealed. So FDR made a strategic decision to be what my good friend Jakob Feining calls money silencer. And he told everybody, hey, you got to pay these taxes in order to have this program. And so FICA was born and the Social Security Act was born and so forth. But the thing is this, right? Back in 1946, a great guy from the St. Louis Fed or the New York Fed, excuse me, his name was Beardsley Rummel. He wrote this treatise. He said, basically, we're no longer held captive to markets. We're no longer worried about the money markets. Bottom line is taxes for revenue is obsolete. Bold words. I mean, it's a huge thing from one of the big dogs at the Fed. And this is in 1946. So we've got some things coming together at the same time. We got FDR over here telling everybody we got to pay FICA to get this long-standing retirement account, basically, that will last us forever. It's just right to being a, an American citizen that we're all paying into. And on the flip side, you've got this very quiet Federal Reserve guy who most people didn't ever hear of. I guarantee you most people have never heard the name Beardsley Rummel. Okay. And, and for it to just roll off my tongue, you have to know how important this figure is in this kind of story. And so as you look, FICA is just this thing that allows us to feel really, really good that we paid into this program. But FICA itself does not actually fund or pay for or anything. Social Security. Imagine having a ticker when you're walking through the concert hall and you're walking in, you hand your ticket to the guy at the counter and that turnstile goes one, two, three, four, and it counts everybody that walks through. That's basically what the Social Security Trust Fund is. It's a way of accounting that people have paid this money. But that money no longer exists. It's just another federal tax that has been deleted and purged. It's still the brand new dollar that is spent to each and every Social Security recipient. And I gave uh, Peter a couple of videos. And one of them I'd like to ask you to queue up right now to kind of fill the void here.
0: Taxes do not fund Social Security?
2: No, I want you to, go. well, maybe. Is that the one with Randall Ray? Let's see. Uh, That's the one. If that's the one, then that's the one. Owls is
0: the
1: channel. Yes, that's
2: it. Play that video real quick.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Play
2: that video real quick, and then we'll come back to it.
3: Okay, cool. Sounds good. Getting an education. security. Because when you said
4: that we don't have to think of taxing, of taxes as the only way to finance social security nets, it's not very clear for me. And of course, this is my fault. I I didn't really get it during the the presentation. What else is to finance the social security net if we are not to rely on taxes and therefore give the power to the rich people like it's up to you guys to pay or not? Um,
5: thank you. Okay, on um, your social security and so on, government spending on social security is accomplished the same way any other government spending is accomplished.
3: gasto en la seguridad social por parte del Estado se produce igual que cualquier otro gasto por parte del Estado.
5: It's keystrokes. If you are a retiree collecting your social security retirement money,
3: si una...
5: You can go to the ATM machine at your bank.
3: Al, al de tu banco.
5: And you can go into your balance.
3: Eh, tu balance.
5: In the U.S. we're paid on the first of the month.
3: En el día mes.
5: And you can watch your balance.
3: Ver en tu balance, en tu
5: de balance Suddenly, $2,000 appears.
3: Como de repente, $2,
5: You're paid. Te de pagar. They didn't take from somebody else.
3: No es que hayan de otra
5: They keystroked
3: it. Lo han
5: What's much more important is the real stuff that you will be buying.
3: Taking
5: care of future retirees
3: el cuidado de los eh, jubilados del futuro
5: es no accomplished by taxing o b- by building up surplus funds
3: no se consigue mediante los impuestos o eh, mediante los eh, los planes de de seguros plan de privados, los planes de jubilación privados
5: es accomplished by building up your productive capacity over the next 20 or 30 years y
3: aumentando nuestra capacidad productiva eh, los próximos 20 o 30 años
5: so that you can produce enough manera, to feed clothe and shelter the elderly
3: de manera que eh, podamos producir lo suficiente como para alimentar eh, dar um, alojamiento a los futuros jubilados
5: taxing more now just reduces your ability to do that
3: el aumento de la eh, de los impuestos eh, reduce esta capacidad eh,
5: Okay. Si, you can pause it now. Go ahead and get us out of this one. Same story.
2: <laughs> so so now that we've gone through this, can you all hear me okay? Okay. Now that we've gotten through that, that's that's one of the top 50 economists in the world right there, Randall Ray, with a translator giving you the other side of this, right? Yeah. But the fact is, is that me, Steve Grumbine and I'm just a regular dude. I'm an activist, and I talk about this stuff all the time. But I said the same exact thing he did almost verbatim. The difference is, is that I'm a guy that drops F-bombs and doesn't put up with trolls and stuff like that. Randall Ray has got the patience of God, right? I don't. I'm different. I'm wired differently than Randy. Um, that said, that is a guy who is an MMT expert. He is an actual developer of MMT, and he just explained. What we just talked about there was Social Security. That is how Social Security is done. That's literally how it's done. That's not MMT. It's just that MMT people seem to be, they dig in and learn, right? That's the difference. It's like they don't just take it on face value. They do this. Now, now for the real punchline. This is the one, because the combination of these two is going to be the rest of what I talk about. I gave another video, and this is a video of Alan Greenspan. The king neoliberal, possibly the worst human being on the planet, okay? And he is fighting and talking with absolutely the worst Eddie Munster imitator of them all and Paul Ryan. And Paul Ryan is trying to goad Alan Greenspan into admitting that we should privatize Social Security because the payments are insecure. It could go insolvent. Okay, and so here you got the right wing. And this makes me angry just for the record. There's a lot of people out there that are just too cool for school. They got this, oh, hey, the right wing, the left wing, it's all part of the same bird. It's true when it comes to, you know, the parties, but they're not left and right wing. They're right wing. Both of those parties are right wing parties. Both are pro business parties. But this idea there's no such thing as a left wing and a right wing. You guys need to get that shit right out of your head. That's not true. There's an ideological understanding of the world around you, and there is a prescriptive understanding of prioritization of people and labor over capital and and money markets. So there is an absolute difference, and I I absolutely reject the framing of that. There is no such thing as left wing or right wing. It's garbage. Anyway, this right here is the king of all neoliberals, one of the worst human beings on the planet and Alan Greenspan simultaneously talking to another evil son of a bitch in Paul Ryan. Listen to this and wait for the punchlines. This one will get you where it, where it gets them all going crazy. Go ahead and play this one.
6: Having personal retirement accounts is, a, is another way of making a, a future retiree benefits more secure for their retirement. And also, do you believe that personal retirement accounts as a component to a system of solvency does help improve solvency? Because when you have a personal retirement account policy, it's accompanied with a benefit offset. With that feature in place, do you believe the personal retirement accounts can help us achieve solvency for the system and make those future retiree benefits more secure?
4: Well, I, w- I wouldn't say that the uh, pay as you go benefits are insecure in the sense that uh, <clears throat> there's nothing to prevent the federal government from creating as much money as it wants and paying it to somebody. The question is, how do you set up a system which assures that the real assets are created which those benefits are employed to purchase? So it's not a question of security. It's a question of the structure of a financial system which assures that the real resources are created for retirement as distinct from the cash. The cash itself is nice to have, but uh, it's got to be in the context of the real resources being created at the time those benefits are paid so that you can purchase real resources with the benefits, which of course are cash.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: i mean if you heard that right randall ray said there's nothing preventing us he even in his video shows a keyboard and says that they just do the keystrokes last night you look over there at that's okay you look over there at alan greenspan says the same exact thing imagine what strange bedfellows we are when Alan Greenspan tells the truth accidentally because Paul Ryan is lying that much. He's that much of a liar, right? This lie that Paul Ryan told in that video is the lie that you and I and every one of us activists on the left are dealing with, we're fighting with. We're, we're trying to disabuse, but the problem is, and this is, I, I have so many links that I would love to give you that we just don't have right now, but there is one article in particular by Stephanie Kelton that says, save social security from its saviors, okay, and it's like all the people, oh, let's just raise FICA limits up, oh, we gotta, we'll do, we'll, we'll save social, I wanna make sure everybody has some, so I'm willing to pay more, and all these bleeding heart things that make the right wing laugh at us, okay. You realize all of that is bullshit, but here's what you don't know, and here's what I don't think I gave you enough of. So you're going to have to get it from me, unfortunately, instead of one of the experts. Um, Ultimately, it comes down to the authority to make payments. Okay, so in the law, in the in the actual verbiage of the law, it gave authority to make payments to this Social Security trust fund. Okay. So this trust fund, while it's not anything more than a piece of paper, basically a ledger that says, yep, yep, you went through the turnstile. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, here's your annual report of all the yeps. Okay, here's the, the lifelong number of yeps you've done. And so you're entitled to so many yeps at the end of the road, right? Well, in this case, the Social Security Trust Fund simply provides authority to make payments. Unlike Medicaid or Medicare that is paid for at Congress's discretion, there's no uh, authority to pay from the Medicare trust fund or whatever. It's really only in Social Security that the trust fund is the big authority to make payments. But it only authorizes the payment. It in and of itself has no money to facilitate the payment. The payment comes as every other payment comes right from the Treasury. They keystroke the, every brand new Social Security check that goes out. Every single one is going to be a keystroke into the account of the person who is the recipient. That's mm-hmm. it. It's brand new money. And I jokingly say there's no rolled up you know, fat stacks from Breaking Bad and there's no hay pennies from Granny from 1919. There's none of that stuff in there. It's 100% every single time new money. So the real issue comes down to, the trust fund itself, the concept of the trust fund, this is just another one of those stupid rules that dumb people put in place that kill us later on, like the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling, we've talked about this before, but for those of you who don't know this stuff, there is no such thing as the debt. It's it's really just the amount of money in the, in the economy, but they put this debt ceiling in there to provide a political ping pong ball that they can bounce back and forth and slow play every possible decision. So just like the stupid debt ceiling, the social security trust fund, if you want to fix social security end the mirage end the trust fund, stop this nonsense about the trust fund. And instead of just giving you whatever pittance you've paid in, freaking give people 2000, 3000, $4,000 a month, whatever it is that they determine is required to live in this society. Because that's what you're doing here. You are creating a retirement account that people should be able to ride off into the sunset and not worry about. Okay, And so the amount of money that we could pay every retiree is infinite. We could we could spend as much as we want, but we got to go back to Alan Greenspan and we got to go back to Randall Ray, who both said we've got to design an economy that ensures the real resources are there. This is why UBI is such a bad idea. And they're both telling you because without the real resources for purchase, it's inflationary. And now you've got a scarce thing that's being driven up. So in the sense of social security, to fix social security, eliminate FICA. Who pays FICA? You, The rich people pay up to what, 115000 130000 whatever. Yeah. The regular people, you and I, well, most of us are every penny we earn this year will be FICA taxed to the nth. What could be a more regressive tax than FICA, especially when FICA doesn't actually pay for the benefits? It's just taking money out of your pocket today and doing nothing with it other than shredding it. And then later on, giving you the feeling that I've paid into the system and I deserve this money. All right. Why not so- just make it a right and just so- give it to people?
1: OK, so let then. me ask you, though. So I just want to know. Sure. So you you brought up the, the issue of, you know, not UBI because UBI is a bad idea. But then when you sit there and describe getting rid of FICA and just giving people, you know, whatever, a month that that's OK. And I really don't understand. I mean, I don't so what, understand. Why. When
0: do you get
2: Social Security?
1: Well, 65. 65 now.
2: OK. When do you get a UBI?
1: Well, we don't, but, but uh, let's say in your, in your
2: ideal world, when do you get a UBI? Let's say it was
1: 18. And and this is my ideal world, by the way, just I'm prefacing that with we're talking theoretically.
2: Sure. Absolutely. So what happens now? Now you've got 350 million people that get a thousand dollars a month. That status quo, it's done nothing. The inflation on that alone, just because of cost resets, That in and of itself, you watched what happened during the pandemic. The minute they thought you and I got a nickel out of the system, what did they do? They gouged the living shit out of it. So without price controls and price caps and ensuring that the shelves are stocked and that there's toilet paper for purchase, without ensuring that you have enough fuel in the economy, whether that be gas or solar or whatever, these things all of a sudden it goes up. Without production, there is nothing. So this is why we would talk about a federal job guarantee, because part of what Greenspan said and what part of what Ray said is to ensure that the real resources are there. If you're just looking at retiree benefits and people who are indigent or, or are handicapped or otherwise abled or whatever, and providing that, that's a whole big different deal than a you of a UBI. And so when you think about how do you ensure that the real resources, everything you want and need for 350 million people is there when many of those people are no longer working and producing anything, you sure as hell better hope the robots have taken over society. We ain't anywhere near that. So the idea of ensuring that we've got the real resources for purchase, that's the key from both Greenspan, the neoliberal, and Randall Ray the god of economics so you put the two together and you've got the same answer which is terrifying actually but it's true all right so you're going to get the argument
0: back from the conservative side regarding inflation so where there's obviously multiple places that one can point the finger right now regarding why it's been so out of control and we probably can't even begin to unravel just I how- could get it quick I can nail it quick for
1: you you want me you give got- you the quick a lot of it is price gouging things to me like their people are out of control right now and they're using this as an excuse
2: sure you've got two types of cost increases that go on in society one is what we call a relative value story which is where certain prices go up because of supply chain issues or because they pay their employees more and they're trying to get a different price point whatever that's not inflation that's called a relative value story Inflation only comes when the federal government pays the inflated price. Once the, Because fe- the federal government being the currency issuer and the money monopolist, it alone sets the price by what it pays for that first dollar when it spends it into existence. So if it tells you that we have a job guarantee that we pay $30 an hour plus benefits, it has set the de facto standard, the labor standard with the job guarantee. That is that first dollar spent on the labor person. Whatever that is. So if you want to set labor at $30 an hour, $20 an hour, $15 an hour, whatever it is, that's the de facto. That's the price set. And that's what we call a nominal price anchor. And that right there, by setting the labor standard to the job guarantee dollars, now you have something to peg off of to, to as the price center. Because the Federal Reserve has a dual mandate. Full employment, <laughs> which is a joke, and price stability, which is another joke. Because in order to have price stability, the only tool in their tool shed is to raise interest rates. That's the only tool they have. They have no other ability. The only people that have ability is Congress. And if you were a Congress critter up there in Capitol Hill, this would be in your lap. This would be your responsibility to manage and to talk in those back rooms about this stuff and and bring these things up. And so as you think about it, inflation is not something that happens because of – you know, bread went up. Inflation is something when the federal government sets the new price by paying the higher price. Now it has created inflation. That's how inflation occurs. You see, gas prices are coming down right now. Why are they coming down? Because there was a relative value story there. There was a shortage. and yeah, The shortage has been adjusted. Now you're seeing prices slowly but surely come back down. Okay. But they would raise rates, they would raise prices on gas until the economy collapses on itself because that's what capitalism does. It wants to get every penny it can get out of any situation. So if it knows, there's people do huge marketing research on how much disposable income does every household have, okay? And then they go in there and they do their four Ps of marketing and try and set their price according to what they think their piece of the pie of that disposable income is. Okay. And so ultimately, in the end, yeah, and absolutely, I love this. This raising interest rates increases the cost of everything, which is by definition of inflation. Yes, because the interest rates are part of the government sector. Yes, the interest rates are a payment that raises the cost of everything. So, yes, you're absolutely right. That is straight out of Warren Mosler's textbook. He would tell you that too. So, good job, old and grumpy. <laughs> um, but, um, anyway, long story short, that's it. I mean, the, the stuff you saw, you see relative value stories where there's shortages, you see relative value stories where people are trying to gouge a little bit, where they're, we're projecting a shortfall in a few months. So they want to capture something in advance. There's all sorts of stuff that goes into the relative value stories, but the relative value stories are not inflation. Inflation is when the government begins to pay a higher price. That's when we would recognize inflation. And so there's so much conversation out there about the increase in costs. But you saw clearly that UK Guardian article that I think we read last time I was on here, where they talked about all the different companies that were like a 1,000% profit, a 300% profit over the time of the pandemic. I mean, huge, huge profits. And there wasn't any inflation. That was them gouging the living shit out of us. So- <laughs> Within the Social Security framework, the idea of the government spending more in Social Security payments may, in fact, bring about a bump, a one-time type bump in in inflation. It could actually create inflation because the federal government is now spending more money on a given thing, and that, by definition, would create some some inflation.
0: I think we're in a very dangerous position right now, more so than even before, because I thought because Biden's presidency up until a couple of weeks ago was heading for like historically disastrous proportions. But what he's done recently is window dressing at best. And unfortunately, because we are so used to getting nothing. It's see through. And I try to point out to people I'm like, yes, student debt shouldn't exist because college is a scam. It has no reason to be charged what it's charged. You're in Pennsylvania. There are tons of state schools that provide you with just as good an education as all those Eastern Pennsylvania liberal arts colleges that are charging $50,000, $60,000 a year. It's a scam because people figured out how to game the system. Much like the economy that we're living in right can, now.
1: Can't we just realize that the pre K to sixteen is just an investment in our civilization? Hello. And can't we just look at it as as an investment and you could do the last four but, su- but how but are you gonna
0: but how are you gonna subjugate tens of millions of people and make money off
1: of that? I'm just saying, like, can we stop talking about education like it's a cost? And like the fact that you can be in debt for something that is an investment in every place. Like, it's just bizarre to me. But So since so
0: since Joe Biden decided to cut about 10 to 15% of the actual student debt in this country, yeah, uh, which will just reappear in uh. about two or three years if you don't do the actual fundamental <laughs> change, which is tuition-free public college and trade schools. Yes. So if we're not doing that, then society is not going to evolve the way that it could. But to me, it's kind of amazing, because on the one hand... They're trying to tout this as some type of a grand gift to the American public. And then on the other hand, you have people saying this is absolutely atrocious. The working people don't deserve anything. And it's like the cycle repeats itself. But I feel like we're in a very dangerous place right now, if for no other reason, because the climate apocalypse is upon us and we are not doing enough to actually mitigate this fundamental issue regarding how our economy should be moving forward and so i was thinking things were getting so bad that enough people were starting to wake up but i also feel like what just happened is maybe a little bit of enough catnip for some people to get them to shut up for a little while how do you see it
2: uh i couldn't have said it better well i i did an hour of that this morning or noon so i said exactly that for an hour and you said it in like what five minutes (laughs) Um, So so listen to Peter here, right? Um, But in fairness, the way I look at this is this. We're a big, giant group of people that wanted Bernie Sanders to win the presidency, right? And that, let's say that's the universal set of the good guys. We all wanted Bernie to win. Now, all of a sudden you say, but you have to go ahead and door knock a few times. The universal set shrinks down. To like, let's say seventy-five percent, because twenty-five percent are like, I just can't be bothered to door knock. And then you say, yeah, but if you donate one dollar a month, Bernie can win, but then that drops it down even lower, and then eventually it just diminishes. Well, this is what happens with things like student debt as well. Okay, student debt—it's it, there's enough people that had very, very minimal debts that went ahead, and they're going to get their student debt written off, and and I, more power to them. Astra and the folks at the deck collective are doing really good work and they're not taking their foot off the gas pedal. That is the one thing that's keeping me remotely, uh, like not completely hanging myself in some far-off somewhere. Don't, don't um, is, no, I, I'm being facetious, but I'm not though. I'm I'm there's a lot of people that are literally carrying a huge house payment on their back that's called student debt. Yeah. And and the idea of it kicking back in when they can barely make ends meet now is terrifying, right? But here's the big thing. And I want you to really get real fundamental with this. Beyond all the, hey, it should be a right and it should be an investment. Think about it. How do you take out a credit card right now? You, it, it, Peter and Jen, how would you take a credit card out?
1: I have no idea. I haven't had a credit card since college. Lucky you. Peter, Uh, Peter. uh,
0: Well, I mean, I would contact American Express or, you know, Visa, and I would go through the process of getting approved. (laughs) What do they have to do to get approved? Your credit Credit score, score. right? Got to have a credit score, score, got to have a history of paying your bills. And Mm -hmm. the reality is um, a credit card can actually be pretty valuable economically as long as you don't mess up. The second you mess up, the second you have to pay over time, if people don't realize that when you see an interest rate of 22%, 25%, that's what payday lenders to communities of color here in South Florida are like regarding the credit card industry. It is a system set up to keep you in perpetual hell for as long as you're alive. That's the goal. That you can never get out of this.
2: Take a look over there at student debt. Do they care about your credit score? Do they care about your credit worthiness? Do they care about your employment prospects or your payment history? Do they care about anything?
0: You want it, you can have it.
2: Do they care if you've gotten laid or had your first kiss yet? Do they care if you've gone on your first prom or your first homecoming yet? They don't care. There is no requirement. So in other words, a kid that has no family that can teach them how to balance budgets or spend. They have no idea what career is available to them. They have no idea of anything, but they're so desperate to not be left behind. And their parents and everybody else has been convincing them, you must go to college. You got to go to college. You need to go to college. And so what happens? They go to college and they take out $50,000 in student debt. And nobody told them that the interest was compounding. Nobody told them. And so, like my interest, let's say, look at my my student loans, okay? I have two master's degrees and a partially finished PhD. I also have a bachelor's, obviously. Within this space, I took out $80,000 in principal loans. I currently owe over $120,000 because of compounding interest, from deferments when I was unemployed, from when the grand financial crisis hit, from other things that have struck. I and, and there's no way to discharge that debt in bankruptcy like you could a credit card or like you could medical debt. You cannot discharge student debt. So you walked into that debt without any credit history, without any a, a possible knowledge of what job you could have at the end of the rainbow, because if you already knew what job you had, chances are mommy and daddy were the ones paying for college to begin with. So if you did take out a student loan, it was just merely a way for them to invest the money they were going to pay and then get it back later. There was nothing to do with actually, oh my God, we need to take out loans to get you an education. So what you're talking about is strapping kids that have no concept of of, of uh, credit, have no concept of, uh, you know compounding interest and have literally strapped them for a lifelong of debt to subsidize the training education and development systems of corporations around the world. Cause you can't even get a job in the mailroom anymore without a bachelor's degree. Yep. You can't work your way up the food chain anymore. So all the dreams you had, I mean, Back in 93, when I started the phone company, you could get hired off the street, as they say. You could get a job in the mailroom. You could be an operator. You could be a service rep right off the ground. You could be at uh, one of those people running the frame and you could be an installer whatever. You could work your way up the food chain, get into management, have a 30-year career and have a pension and everything else. That don't happen anymore. And I think it was in the year 2000, Bell Atlantic at the time, Verizon had gone ahead and gotten rid of the actual pension plan and put you on a 401k. Now you had a, you were vested for whatever time you were in, but otherwise no one else got a pension and they literally cut you off at the knees. So the idea of taking on college debt as a student today You are literally subsidizing an industry that has no loyalty to you. There is no 30-year window that you're going to be there. There is no payback. You better hope to God you can find a job that pays the level of payment that you're going to need to pay to pay those student debts back. And this is before you've bought a home even, for Christ's sake. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. And then worse, oh, my God. The social security recipients, the older folks that got cast out of their jobs late in their career, that had to reinvent themselves, went back and took out some loans to get a degree because things had changed now. And all of a sudden they've got a four year degree and they're 59 years old. They're only going to work for however long and they've got to pay off this huge freaking student debt now, too. This is ridiculous. And it didn't have to be, shouldn't be. And you could see this is the part that should really piss everyone off. Joe Biden did this without an act of Congress. He literally wrote off the debt without an act of Congress. He did it himself with an executive order. He could have done it the whole damn time, just like he could reclassify
0: marijuana, and oh, doesn't. Right. Okay. And if you, listen to, if you listen to the speaker, she said that uh, Joe Biden can't do that. Stop! It it. Has you to be don't act do Congress.
1: women well. You <laughs> know what though? What's really it's it's very frustrating because yeah, look, ten thousand dollars I know is meaningful to a lot of people. It's not like that's not meaningful. But it's just so useless in what we're trying to get done. Like, it is just so completely but useless. But then people buy that and think, oh, Joe's doing a good job. Yet, yeah, No, Joe is not doing a good job. When they're
0: talking about somebody who owes, let's say, $10,000 left in their student loan, the part that they're not talking about, which is the sinister motive of corporate media, is to say, oh, my God. They don't have student debt anymore. Yeah, after paying over $125,000, well, I thank you for the $10,000 stipend you decided yeah. to give me. And uh, the, it's, the, it's like
1: unbelievable. And the worst argument to me is when you hear people saying, well, that's just paying. Why do I want to pay for a bunch of rich kids to go to school? You are not. That's the thing. But here's, here's my point. Let's say we were. All right. Okay, so well, we pay not to go we to school. So I just—it's a stupid argument. It's a stupid well, argument.
0: Well, if you if you were listening when I was telling the American people about how the economy really worked, and they believed me, even though I was acting the whole time, um, it is either kill or be killed. And remember, the most dangerous thing you could ever hear from somebody is, "I'm from the government and I'm here to help." Oh. And of course, <laughs> he was able to sell that as effectively. And again, remember. And this is what I try to emphasize to people. And I wasn't alive then. You were a tyke and so were you. But remember, the American economy during the Reagan revolution was terrible. When things are not going well in this country, strong men, whether it was Reagan in 1980 or whether it is Donald Trump in 2016 and will almost assuredly right now as we are trajecting in that direction, DeSantis in 24, when things are not going well, these strong men are so easily able to rise to the top because people are so desperate they're desperate for anything and biden is (sighs) going to run on this record he the idea well do we know
1: for sure he even is going to run again
0: i mean it's six of one half a dozen of the other
1: again it doesn't matter to me either way it's all ridiculous but
0: because even if he doesn't run again steve they're going to prop up budajich It's painfully obvious that that's who it is. You don't yep. put somebody in charge of transportation. And what makes it even worse and, and shows you just how, and I'm always harder on liberals than conservatives because I accept the fact that most conservatives are from rural America. They were never given proper education. There is a limit to their intellect and they are just grasping at whatever they can comprehend. Whereas liberals in big city urban dwellings and suburban areas like Pennsylvania, uh, being Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, uh, places like Central New Jersey, where I'm from, they they fancy themselves as being these super smart intellectual people, and yet they're hanging their hat on a person who is a complete catastrophe of a mayor in South Bend, Indiana. And now you thought that was a disaster being the Department of Secret Department of uh, Transportation Secretary. He's even worse, and they're still going to make this guy try to get to the head of the line to be the leader of the democratic party. So I guess my question is we from the outside see just how bad things are right oh, now. Yeah. Are the people on the inside really this naive?
1: They just don't care. That's what I think.
0: Well, hold,
2: hold, hold. So you got, I, I asked Warren Mosler a while back. I said, Warren, is Joe Biden doing a good job? And he goes, for who? <laughs> right. For who? <laughs> and it was like that moment. Cause tell me honestly, you and I, most of the people in the audience, they believe that government is serving them. Now, mind you, they may believe that it's serving them poorly, but they believe that it's there to serve them and that they're just screwing up, right? See, to screw up means they meant to serve me. They just whiffed. They just got it wrong, man. They just they tried though. They tried really hard, but you know, it just didn't just didn't work out, man. Just tried, right? And so I, <laughs> I think it's important to recognize the fact. That you know, I did a show the other day called Half Measures Avail Us Nothing, right? And the idea is, is that if you tell me you're going to reduce the water, I'm drowning, I'm trapped, my feet are in, in cement shoes, and the only way that I can survive is if you bring the water level down to here. That's the only way I can survive. So I can breathe and whatever. But if the water is reduced down to here, I still die, right? Yeah. I effectively still die. And this is the thing with these kind of lame, liberal, I'm a vote blue eh," kind of Democrat, you know, eh, you know, uh, Pat, you know, what is it, Pat from Saturday? I'm blue and I feel so
0: good. Um, I don't
1: know if you're aware, this is who we are supporting. Um, This is what we said. We're voting blue. And this (laughs) is... Um, this is
2: right. So I just wanted to put up our support for the blue, go blue, go blue or go home. Oh, wow! (laughs) well, in this, in this world right now, I need to have a nice big old spliffo (laughs) off of some like, you know, granddaddy cush or something Man, to be able to pull that one off. But I want to, I want to, I want to put an exclamation point on what, what we're talking about here. I think this is really important. Again, going back to that Bernie Sanders thing where we're all at the rally. Think about the pictures and the videos of all the crowds all over New York City and Sacramento.
0: My God, do you remember Sacramento? It was 27,000 people. It's insane. I remember the Moda Center in Portland. I, I, but listen, I can still remember when he did his first rally, the first big rally, which was at the University of Wisconsin in like the beginning of June 2015. It's like 10,000 people who showed up. And I'm like, oh, it's on
1: in there, this let him finish.
2: Well, but but you see, the minute that you impose anything that requires action, show up to a meeting on time, check into your group, come knock, make a phone call, write a letter, send a text. People are done, they move. It's too much, they can't be bothered. But the one thing they can do, use goddamn these sons of bitches, <laughs> blah blah blah. You did this, you you're a sellout, you're a and it's like, dude, I hate to break it to you. The people that are showing up and showing out of those old people that we're talking about that get Social Security, that were raised during Red Scare McCarthyism, that are literally still sitting there feeling duck and cover from the the old days. Right. They still remember, you know, you know. Baryshnikov. And they still remember, you know, like way back in the day, they remember, they remember, they remember hearing fireside chats. They, they remember these things, right? And so you're asking them to flush 60 years of thought down the drain and you just not show up and not do anything because it's too much trouble to check in and do whatever you got to do. And, and I think to myself, it's no wonder we never see change. We keep blaming the other guy, but I look around and I don't see people ready to take to the streets. I see people talking about binge watching Netflix. I see people talking about going out and hanging out and doing fun things like 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 you can have fun organizing. You can have fun doing Activist work. You can have fun making friends that have better values than your spouse. That's all Nazi-esque and looking at Wall Street and doing all kinds of other shit. You can actually be useful in this movement and have fun at the same time, interestingly enough. Yeah, we don't have that.
1: I do. I'm trying to make a difference, you and I do.
3: I see it all the time,
1: and and I would also say that also big fan of Barishnikov. Have his autograph. He's a total asshole, but unbelievably, unbelievably delicious. Really up close and personal. I'm just saying. But Does that
0: give them yeah. carte blanche to be? I assholes? have his
1: autograph. I have it framed on in Playbill when I went. No, I. there were a couple of seasons where I would sort of hang out outside the room when he would come into Jacket Loose and Theater Performing Arts and I would wait and I would try to get his autograph and he doesn't give autographs. He doesn't give autographs. He's not a nice guy. And then once I jumped up, followed him out, fell down a flight of stairs, skid across the floor. He turned to me, grabbed the playbill out of my hand and said, why do you always bother me? Signed (laughs) it and threw it back at me. Oh yes. And yet I was like, I, I, I think I had like mascara running down my face at this point. I was just, but I was
2: So happy. That's a great story.
0: I mean, wow, what a douche (laughs) nozzle. (laughs) Oh,
1: (laughs) I don't even care. Uh, All
0: right. So I think a good place to wind down the conversation is right here, which I think is most important. Uh, We've emphasized. you know, the left is kind of in disarray right now. I do not see Bernie running a third time. And I think if he did run a third time, it would not have the same energy as the previous two runs. I think people have been let down by his methodology. I think he capitulates way too much to the establishment of this. Oh, the other side is bad. No, the other side is only bad because the Democratic Party allows them to be as bad as they are. There is a method to this entire machine. There's no
1: resistance, Bernie. There's but no
0: resistance. What is significant, and I do believe that whoever is going to lead the charge from a progressive standpoint is in two factions, and you only need two. You need the environmental movement and you need labor. And if you have those two things working in concert, there's no telling what could happen. But the unifying uh, issue, in my opinion, is the power of the executive and what the president is actually capable of doing. The president could declare a climate emergency and get to work building an actual clean energy grid at the rate that it needs to be built at in the next five years. And simultaneously
1: guarantee jobs.
0: Correct, and so that, that's where the labor component comes in. <laughs> if you were to actually build a Green New Deal style, clean energy grid, you would create probably about 10 million plus jobs. That would literally yes. take the economy into the 21st century where it belongs. And so after the report that just came out about China and how much they've been devastated by the recent heat wave and how much it's hurting their economy. I mean, to me, whoever's going to lean on this can say the president has the authority to do this. And for anyone doubting it, the fact that Biden was able to cancel student debt can decriminalize cannabis, <sighs> can end all the wars, expunge all the violent drug records, decriminalize all drugs if he wants. There are so many things the president can do. And anyone who says that it can't be done to that, oh, Joe Biden or whoever is too much of a tyrant or uh, Donald Trump issued, I think, like not even like 120 executive orders. Joe Biden has issued about 75 or 80. FDR issued 3,700 executive orders. So I don't know what world people are living in, but they're living in a world of propaganda and we got to break that propaganda. So do you believe that some type of a progressive run is possible if it's led by this idea of sort of an environmental labor coalition that can finally take us over the top?
2: I think that we can do that. I, I talked to David Van Dusen, who is the president of the AFL-CIO in Vermont, and they have really, really taken kind of this class struggle unionism to an extreme. They have st- they've completely not backed the Democrats. They they have backed the entire slate of the Vermont uh, Progressive Party. Um, they are making people show them that they support labor and they are working with outside groups where there's opportunities and and shared interests. And, uh, you know, I just talked to him the other day. I'll be talking to Liz Medina on this Friday and I've talked to uh, guys like Joe Burns from the union work. And and what it comes down to is this, this is really probably the most important part of this. Labor is key for organizing, absolutely. And you see little fits and spurts of it with Starbucks and Amazon and so forth. You see other things with railroad workers and stuff. You see things starting to brew a little bit there. As far as the environment goes, yes, you definitely have to have a Green New Deal coalition um, because that right there gives you the framework for all the stuff that we just laid out. It's already there. We just have to literally fight for it. And I, I think that those two things are vital, but I'm going to say it and I'm going to say it just as honestly as I can. None of it will be possible without an understanding of economics. So if you have somebody up there who's just placating, the population and just saying stupid shit because that's what they'll believe. They're not the one. They're not the one. Cause this is not a game. We don't have time. Right. So we can't screw around. We have to have somebody who like stands up there, like literally and point, like knows their shit and says, we can do it. We can fund it. Republicans sit down. We're not going to take your fucking tax dollars. Just shut up. We can do this. Thing. We can do it, but it will require a person with conscious knowledge of the monetary system to lead that fight. You cannot have people that don't know it being that vocal leader because those people down there are going to go back to all the failed liberal strategies of, I'm willing to pay more for Medicare so you can have healthcare too. And it's all these things, these things that literally resonate with about 10 people in the left But the rest of the world's like, fuck that, I don't want my tax dollars going to that, you stupid fool, you liberal crazy nut, you communist, you this, I mean, on and on and on, all the things. So we must have someone that understands the economy and we must be boots on the ground every single day telling anybody, the cashier, the guy at church, the dude driving the bus, the lady over there folding laundry or sitting there uh, driving a race car on the truck, whatever. We need them all to understand the monetary system. The taxes don't fund your federal government, folks. Your federal government funds you. And if we can get that part down, then all the rest of the organizing takes place in the correct fashion because then they're not fighting bad wars. they are not fighting dumb wars. they are not in the middle of these back and forth capitulation compromises where they're, well, we'll raise taxes on these. We'll do that. We'll do it. And then all of a sudden this bill looks like build back better and it fails. No more. We can't have any more of that bullshit. We've got to have somebody that really knows their ass from their elbow on economics and put that all together <laughs> And you can win. Now you've got a winning
0: strategy. It's almost something as simple as you're going to some type of shop and there's an item that you want. Well, guess what? You are the bank. You have the money and you are now bartering, if you will, with the person to say, well, what is this worth? You think it's worth seven dollars? I think it's worth four, five. We agree. Okay, great. I'll have that cup of ice cream. It really is that simple. The problem is, is that it's been expanded so exponentially that I think people really lose sight of how it all works. And so much of our economy is, it's its like a glass, uh, it, it's a glass house. Yeah, it's it, well, it, it, there's no facility a, house a cards, glass house, but then you could see everything.
1: <laughs> it's a house of cards, it's ridiculous. It. It's just, it's not real. It's like, it's just all this fiction. So we live with an economic fiction, we live with a political fiction, we live with all of these things. And it really is like a matrix. It's bizarre. And every time and every time you see another part of it, but I will tell you, it is somewhat lonely because every time you see another part of it, you're that much more alienated from the majority of people because that's one more thing you see that they don't. And you get to the point where that's that volume of stuff becomes so big compared to so many people that it's just you're better off just being by yourself because you don't want to be rude. You don't want to be, well, you might want to be rude, but like, I'm just saying like, it's very hard. It's very isolated.
0: I have a, my, my, my brother is, um, you know, he, he is, he is as neoliberal as it gets. He married into, Are you sure he'll
1: never watch this? he, He
0: married into a family that's just outside of Boston that is very well off. And, I mean, I was on a text thread recently where he's talking about how great the Clintons are. Like it's that it's that level it's that level of disconnect from reality, where it doesn't really matter what you say because it really will go in one ear and out the other. It well, we have
1: people out the yin yang.
0: But here's the thing, and you know this: you don't have to get everybody. You just That's have right. to get enough people. You have to get enough sensible people. And this is why, especially living in central Pennsylvania, I really think that, and again, we went to a Trump rally. So many of these people are just simple people who are looking for a better life. They are not looking at Trump as anything other than that vessel that they hope is going to provide them something better. There is a reason why there is this real war going on within the GOP right now. And the reason why DeSantis is ascending, because he's talking to those people, whereas the rest of the GOP are no different than people like Buttigieg, Kamala, Joe, any of them. They hold such contempt for working people in this country. And that is one of the things about Trump that people still don't get. He doesn't hold contempt for those people. Even if he's a complete and utter buffoon who breaks the law like everyone else does, only he does it in your face and no one likes to see it. They would rather it be done behind closed doors. And so I'm thinking that if we just, and I think there was a great video, you probably saw it that was online the other day, where like a, a socialist was talking with a Trumper about very specific economic issues and they completely bought in. They completely got it. They understood exactly what what the deal is. And so, when you lead with an economic populist message that's centered on understanding what economics really is, coupled with the primary issues that we care about, I think that's the ticket. And I but think we that's don't have
1: we said person. And that is where we end up. So where we end up with is the Democrats are going to try to push somebody that has a name that absolutely will never be a presidential name. I'm sorry. That's terrible. Uh, booty judge. That is not a name. It's not a name. It's not. Nobody wants that. Nobody. have got to have
0: somebody that isn't attached to that part of you need. You need the reverse. You need somebody who can basically again, it's it's this it's the, it, it is that economic populist burning message. And having that vessel that can do it. Um, Which but is obviously it's 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 that's kind of the that's the conundrum we're stuck with right now. Oh. <laughs> and so we have a
2: lot one, of- one thing real quick. I, I want to jump on this real quick because what Jen said before we went into this part of it was really, 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 really important. You're isolated once you know this stuff. And you want to kill me because I opened your eyes to something Can't that you previously rather. could have been fine. And that's where we're cypher one, two, and three. Yeah. But I know
0: this isn't steak. It's a childhood. <laughs> but I don't care. Answer, I don't give a fuck. It tastes Joey so damn good. So good. At, he really was. Okay.
1: So thank you, Jason Tenzer. I just wanted to point out, this is a friend of mine from like childhood, from growing up. Um and he recently reached out and I sent him a shirt so thank you
0: for So supporting. we are we we are actually very lucky because we are having the democratic nominee for the chief financial officer of Florida Adam Hattersley, who is coming on after this so we will definitely be continuing this economic conversation but before you go please plug anything that you would like to plug your upcoming show on Friday macaroni cheese podcast or anything else uh, get Jen back on some I you know, love
1: well, I I love um, the the, let's get scholar.
0: ready to grumble. I oh, like. Grumble. I love. Let's
1: get ready to grumble. I like that. But go ahead. Go
2: ahead. All right. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, twelve noon Eastern time. I do a show called The Rogue Scholar. Rogue, not roads, but the that's Rogue Scholar. That's at noon three times a week. Monday, wow. Wednesday, Friday at noon. Oh,
3: that's
2: uh, Tuesday nights, and that's I usually ramble by myself for one hour about these subjects using analogies and personal anecdotes to try and bring it all together in the end um tuesday nights i co-host status coup with jordan Sheraton, mm-hmm. um and then on sundays at 2 p.m the let's get ready to grumble is a show that we do which i dress up in lots of different costumes and <laughs> do lots of different fun stuff and that shows up at 2 p.m eastern time at status coup as well
1: right, but on saturday what's enough. that that's my level. That's my that's my jam right there. That's about where I'm at on a Sunday. Yeah, afternoon. I'm
2: trying to be all things to all people. And then on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. Eastern time. Now, mind you, it's not a show. You just download it whenever, sign up and register and get it automatically downloaded into the podcast player of your choice. But I do a, a podcast and really I do two podcasts because the Rogue Scholar is now available in podcast as well. Um, but I do macro and cheese, which is released Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And this week, uh, really, really great show planned. Uh, we, well, we've already recorded it, so it's just a matter of you listening to it. It's uh, Jakob Feinig, who wrote a book called Moral Economies. And it's really, really fantastic. So definitely check it out. Um, And, uh, you know, I do these shows. I come on whenever someone asks me. I try really hard. My schedule is a little challenging as a father of special needs child. But when people like yourself accommodate my availability, it really makes it easy. And I like to be on as many as I can get on. So.
1: Oh, we're willing to do the early bird for you, Steve. We're willing
0: Thank to do you. the early bird. I felt too good for the early
2: bird. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, look, you all have a great rest of your show, and I will talk to you all soon. Have a great Bye. night, brother. Always.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Your favorite.
1: I I do I do love me some Steve Grumbine.
0: He is certainly bringing the knowledge, and now we are going to translate that into some very important knowledge. Because okay. one of the mistakes that I had the pleasure of meeting Adam Hattersley uh, over the weekend um, at a labor event in Pembroke Pines. Uh, shout out to Mayor Frank Ordis. He has a really good bagel Frank shop. <laughs> so very, very good bagel <laughs> shop. And I was able to turn Adam on to uh, what is considered the the real type of water that you're using with the bagels to make them taste so good. Uh, real. Uh, Don't
1: get me waters. started right now. I just lost my Pumpernickel Bagel Place. So uh, I'm in a situation here, you I can't to go to this place. Sometime. I it's
0: pretty good. Know. He is the former State House Representative from the 59th District of Florida. Where is that? Which, by the Tampa Bay. Okay. Uh, but very important. He was able to flip an R, I believe, 9. Wow. And turn that into a victory. Wow. Very, very impressive. He also ran for U.S. Congress, and now he is the Democratic nominee for a very important but not often heralded position in tallahassee which is the chief financial officer and that is something that we have to address adam hattersley welcome to generational change
6: hi thank you so much for having me uh this evening and i have a glass of wine here so i hope you don't mind
1: no oh. I, I have a bullet and, and if, if you don't mind
0: well, okay. well wine okay. and weed. You know, Wine and weed.
1: But the one thing I you know, when we have people on that are running for seats that are not, you know, the sexy seats, the seats that nobody really knows about the seats that nobody really spends money to, you know, unread. I mean, this is the problem. And what concerns me is especially in an election like this, where the top of our ticket and and what that's going to mean in terms of being able to sort of get that momentum. And that's the one thing I think that everybody running on the Republican side right now has in their favor, you know, as far as DeSantis. So, I mean, like, how are you finding this in terms of running in this climate right now with the level of enthusiasm?
6: So when it really comes down to it, I know it seems like the Republicans have some momentum only because they keep saying it. We don't really know what's going on in Florida. Look at what happened with in Kansas with the uh, their constitutional amendment, and they protected uh, a woman's right to choose. Look what happened in New York with the special legislative uh, the special election for Congress, and it went Democrat when nobody thought it could. Nobody has a clue what's going on in Florida. There are a lot of pissed off women in this state after the Dobbs decision. So running this race is it's not as yeah exactly it's not as as daunting as people think. Is it a heavy lift? Of course it is. Anytime you're running for anything, it's a heavy lift. But uh, we have a much bigger, better shot at this than people realize, especially the CFO role. You know, because besides being the state auditor and on the state board of administration, the clemency board and the fire marshal and the head of the Office of Insurance Regulation, the CFO is also the state treasurer. Nobody wants their accountant to be super far right or super far left. And our current CFO has gone super like QAnon crazy far right. And it's affecting his fiduciary decisions. And not only that, people have seen what's been happening with the property insurance market in Florida, which this whole crisis can basically be laid at his feet. He's costing people money. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican or independent or no party or or what. He's costing everybody in the state money. If you rent and your rent's gone up, or if you own your home and your property insurance gone up. That, that's, that's what's, what's going on with this, this race. You know. I don't want you to vote with your party. I don't want you to vote with your heart. I want you to vote with your wallet. And uh, if, if people do that and we get that message out, then this, this actually is the, the most winnable of all the statewide races.
0: We're speaking uh, with Adam Hattersley, candidate for Florida CFO. I think it's important. I, I was there.
1: just going to ask who he actually is working for because that's usually um, what I would do is like trace where, who is he working for? because he's not working for people like regular people so he's obviously working for somebody um, and that's that's a very important point and then more importantly that you are not working for any of those same people
6: well well Mr. if you look at how how i performed in the state legislature you know uh, and as you mentioned i flipped a seat by 12 points it was a republican plus nine seat and i ended up winning it by three i was the first democrat to to win in my district in over 20 years and uh, I think I was also the winning candidate in a competitive race with the lowest fundraising total of any candidate. We did this fully grassroots. I was only working for the constituents and the voters of House District 59 when I was in the legislature, and I don't see that changing. It worked out pretty well for me when I was a member of the legislature, you know. And uh, even if you look at the people who gave to my campaign. Yeah, I took votes that was against their interest if it was in the greater interest of the whole district. You know, I I did eight years in the United States Navy. I I did a combat tour in Iraq. Uh, If you ask around in Tallahassee, I have a reputation of having one of the the best sense, uh, you know, best, best senses of of integrity and and honesty. And I see that going forward. You know, the the current CFO, if you look at who's contributed to his campaign, it's insurance companies, it's, it's it's developers. It's people that that he's been overwhelmingly stacking the deck for at the cost of every Floridian. You know, so we, we, we do need somebody who's on consumer side. Uh, you know, they've done about eighteen hundred investigations on insurance fraud in Florida, which, by the way, they've only made 14 arrests. So that ratio is a little off. But every one of those investigations was handed to them by what's called an S.I. Uh, uh, SIU or Special Investigative Unit of Insurance Companies. So it's insurance companies saying, here, go prosecute these people. There hasn't been a single investigation against an insurance company. Like, we, we need some balance here, you know? And he's really just going, instead of being accountable to the voters like he should be, he's just doing whatever Ron DeSantis tells him to. And that's not how the cabinet is supposed to be built. It's an independent office.
0: There is no question. People uh, need to understand that. People don't.
6: Understand yeah.
0: That. There's definitely. Regardless of whether people overstate the the obvious regarding uh, DeSantis's reign as governor of Florida, if there's one thing that is not in, that cannot be in dispute is that he is the boss, and everyone basically does what he says. There is no independent uh, leader, if you will. Within the party structure in the GOP in Florida, every the buck stops with Ron every single time, and so as a result, and knowing that his ambitions are not to just be the governor of Florida, but to go to the very top, uh, that is causing a huge problem. As we had discussed when we met, uh, one of the biggest problems facing Floridians today is the housing crisis. It is unbelievably expensive to live in this state, whether it is to buy or to rent, and so under the purview of the CFO, how much does do you cover that particular part of our economy and what overall are the most important points for someone to know about the CFO and what you would be responsible for?
6: So one of the big things, I, I just briefly mentioned it, is the CFO is the head of the Office of Insurance Regulation. We've all seen our rents go up, like you just said. We've all seen our property insurance go up. We're in a property insurance crisis. We've had another company leave Florida this week and there's been six just this year. We've seen this property insurance crisis coming down the pike for five years. The current CFO has had a chance to do something about it, but instead he's just taken insurance company and lobbyists' money and, and given them everything they wanted. Somebody made a really good analogy to me. You know, like If if you let a little kid out into a candy store and say, just go wild, they're, they're going to eat so much and do whatever they want until they become sick. And our current insurance industry, industry has gotten everything they've wanted for so long. They've gotten a rubber stamp from the... Uh, insurance commissioner for so long that our industry has become sick. We need some balance, you know, and some of that, that you mentioned how uh, like everything kind of the buck stops with, with DeSantis right now. And I think, I can't remember if it was a lobbyist or an unnamed Republican legislator in Tallahassee that that said earlier this year is in, uh, in Politico. DeSantis is the legislature of the Supreme court and and the executive right now. We're not supposed to have a King in Florida. But he's trying to make himself an authoritarian figure, this king, and you saw it with congressional redistricting when he vetoed a relatively fair map and bullied the legislature by holding the budget over their heads in a line-item veto of any of their projects until he did, the legislature did exactly what they what he wanted. They abdicated their responsibility, and in a state that in 2018 was out of eight and a half million votes was decided by 10,033 votes so it's less than a sneeze politically you know it's 50.01% to 49.99% he made a congressional map that's 20 to 8 republican and eliminated two minority seats it's unconstitutional it's in the courts i know these the lines are going to be redrawn but if you look at some of the laws that have been passed that have been overturned by the courts and we've i've even spoken to republican legislators They say, you know what, let the courts figure it out. We don't care about the constitutionality, which is the exact wrong answer. They are failing the people of Florida.
0: Well, it's very similar to, uh, you know, the situation with Trump, only now it's at the state level where uh, people do not want to cross him and they know that Ron has a lot of juice. And, you know, the, the best thing that you have going is that you have some of these down ballot races, yours in particular, that I think is very important because yours really lands in the area that I think is uh, DeSantis's weakest point, which is housing. I think it is something that is a very significant problem. Um, Orlando, you uh, a young gentleman by the name of Austin Valley. Um, what was what, the your name of the organization?
1: Oh, it's it's like Yes in My Backyard or something because it's like Yim- Yimby. 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 Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yes in Yimby. My Backyard. They have done an, a fantastic job. Yeah. And of course, uh, with Maxwell Frost going to Congress and, of course, goes without saying, and Escomani is probably our favorite uh, state legislator, um, really does an amazing job. You know, that, hurts, he, me. But
6: that hurts me. When I was the state oh, rep, yeah. I wasn't your favorite. You're killing you're me. You not
0: there now, you're not there now. Come on now. You're looking for, you're looking for that.
6: <laughs> it's, a like right to my heart. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they've really done and They have Carlos Guillermo Smith, you know, um, and, our, and our good friend down here, Chevron uh, Jones. He's done a really good job in the state senate. You know, these all the
6: three of those, by the way, have endorsed me for CFO. We uh, we all serve together in the legislature.
0: I think we'll okay. endorse
6: Adam um, for of
0: course. CFO. So you know, there you of go. Course. You can take our rant and, and you can take that uh, as well. for whatever that's that is worth. <laughs> our know, viewers will see tonight. Make sure. And while we're talking, because usually we we'll wait to the end, we'll do it now. What is your website so people can check you out and potentially uh, sign up to volunteer, phone bank, text bank, canvas, and of course donate? What is that website?
6: It's really easy. It's adamforflorida.com, uh, Adam, F-O-R, Florida.com. Uh, I went to University of Michigan. I was in the Navy. So all my stuff is Maize and Blue. Ooh, go Wolverines. So there's a big yellow donate button right up there at the top. And there's actually something else that you mentioned about some of this. Oh, yep, yeah, yeah. There's my website. About some of this political intimidation that you've been talking about with with Ron DeSantis up at the top. I've spoken to a lot of Republicans, a lot of people in in. The law world, a lot of people in the insurance world, a lot of adjusters who are supporting me, who are going to vote for me. But they said, I'm afraid to donate to you because if Jimmy Petronas or Ron DeSantis sees my name on your donor list, there will be political retribution. That's beyond un American punishing somebody for their political opinion. What the hell are we doing? But I've we gotten went that that.
1: We went through that. We deal with that on a regular basis
0: in Broward.
6: He knows. We talked about. Oh yeah, it. I'm from Hillsborough. Andrew Warren and I are good friends, so I know exactly what you're talking about. But,
0: uh, but but it really goes. I think you you've really hit the nail on the head, which again is the. The biggest issue that we fight for here in South Florida, and obviously the issue is huge within both political parties. One may be a little worse, but at the end of the day, corporate special interest money engulfing our political system is the issue of the day. Uh, Running a grassroots campaign is really where it's at. And you're living proof that it works. You ran a grassroots campaign and you flipped a red district that is considered comfortably red. And so, so being able to do that to me, Speaks more to, I am not bought and paid for by the machine. I am going to adhere to the will of the people. And even you said, you had to take some votes and not everybody agreed with, but it's votes on behalf of your constituency. And you've always pointed out that you're representing your people. You're representing your people. It's not about you. Yeah,
6: Yeah. but now you're running- You're not supposed to represent just the people who voted for you. You're not supposed to represent just your party. You're supposed to represent everybody in the district. And we- a lot of the, the legislators and the people in the cabinet have, have forgotten that part, and you can see it in the actions that they're taking. You know, and, and part of that grassroots, that's why I'm partnering with people like Sen- Senator Chev Jones and Rep. Carlos Guillermo-Smith and Rep. Ana Eskamani and dozens of other down-ballot candidates so we can, we can leverage and amplify our grassroots power across the entire state to help not just those local candidates, but the statewide candidates as well. So uh, it's it's part of the coordinated campaign that, that we've been coordinating from the, the CFO role with local candidates that we have relationships with close to 100 across the state. So whenever okay. we go out, we have their information if we're in their district. And whenever they go out, they have my information in their district. And now we're opening it up to the other statewide candidates now that the primary is over.
0: One last important question that we briefly touched upon when we met and one that I think is very important that people understand. One of the things that the GOP has been much better at than the Democrats for quite some time now is not only whether it's, you know, obviously manufactured and fake. We could say whatever you want, but the perceived support of the military and of having people who are in the military or were in the military running for office. The GOP does a much better job of that regarding people who have served running for office. You have served this country and you've served in combat. I believe, especially in a state like Florida, that that is a wild card with a lot of voters. Mm -hmm. And since Mr. Petronas did not serve in the military, I'd like to think that that is a distinct advantage that you do have over him when connecting with certain people that may be either politically independent
6: or in the GOP yeah. and they're willing to listen to somebody else. Yeah, they're just about one point four million veterans in Florida. Yeah. You know, and when I when when I was before I was involved in politics, frequently I would look at whoever was running whatever race, and if I knew one of them was a vet, that's who I was voting for. Mm-hmm. Veterans trust veterans. Yeah, All the cabinet races, attorney general, CFO, and ag commissioner on both sides of the aisle, I'm the only vet, you know, and I just did an event today. Uh, Val Demings was here in Tampa. It was me and Val and about 25 veterans from around the Tampa Bay area. Most of them were either uh, NPAs or Republicans, but they, they came to listen to us and we, I'm pretty sure we got them all, you know, so we're able to go into some places as a vet, you know, like, panhandle near pensacola where i did officer candidate school in 2001 and was commissioned an officer three weeks before september 11th like near jacksonville naval station like in in uh, monroe county in the keys at the naval station there some of these areas where where other people can't necessarily go and have that credibility but i have that 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 common background uh of of service to be able to talk to these folks and, and bring them into the fold you know and i don't know how the Republican party has co-opted the flag and patriotism when they're doing things like storming the Capitol and trying to overthrow the government and stepping on the constitution. I don't know how that happened, but I I, I I take it back.
1: Because they've they've conflated patriotism with nationalism. And a lot of people seem to have that um, problem. And I've always found that frustrating. I find myself patriotic, but I am by no means nationalistic. And so I know that difference. Most people don't seem to know that difference. I also prefer people that have served. Um, but primarily, you know, I say it primarily for president because, Well, yeah, that you're the commander in chief, whereas the CFO of of the state is not, you know, commanding military. But I definitely, for me, that's the one card that you should always play. Like, I don't like any of the identity politics stuff. I hate when people do that. But the vet card is just one that works.
0: Service above self. It just does. Service above self. It's the... It, you know, I, I, I don't have any real regrets in life, but there's a part of me that wished I had served. Although, at 18, if I had been in the army, I probably would have been in the Middle East, and Lord knows that wouldn't have been good. But at okay, the end, you know,
6: high fived while we were there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you're, uh, well, I'm 83, so I'm, I'm I, but this would have been right after 9 11. That's, I, I was, I was ready. But, but you
1: didn't go, so I didn't. you didn't.
0: So I have the utmost respect mm-hmm. for those that serve. Um, most of, uh, you know, what I've learned over the years, I learned a lot from my grandfather who served in World War II. And I think there there is a sense of leadership component to anyone who has served and is now willing to serve publicly. I think that's a big deal. And I think that that will serve you well, no pun intended, as we hit the home stretch, because obviously this is a 10 week rush to the finish line.
1: Unfortunately, I think it also serves Ron DeSantis.
0: Perhaps. And only for this reason. We have very late primaries in the state. And that, unfortunately, puts us kind of behind the eight ball, especially against incumbency. But what are your goals as we wrap up the conversation? What are your goals over the next two and a half? Well, actually, geez, it's two months. So So in the next next nine weeks, what is your ultimate goal leading up to Election Day?
6: Well, obviously, it's to win. (laughs) Uh, We're going to be all over the state. Um, I'm going to be in Palm Beach County tomorrow. Then I'm back in Tampa on Friday, then back to Miami on Saturday and Sunday, then to Jacksonville and back to the panhandle. We're getting to places where Democrats typically haven't gone before, especially some of those panhandle counties. Sure. You know, and, and just being able to get in front of enough people and get this message out to enough, because these 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 elections here in Florida are one of the margins. We know that ninety about 95, 96% of what happens in my race is going to be dependent on the the Senate race and the uh, gubernatorial race. We know that, but it's those that four or 5% where we get to play in the margins. You saw Nikki Freed be very successful with that in 2018. Sure. By getting to some of the other counties that Democrats typically don't go to, I've already been to 52 counties out of 67 in the past four months. It's been, it's been vigorous but I don't, I don't have to win Escambia County. I don't have to win Nassau County. I don't have to win Gilchrist County. And I know I'm not going to, but I just have to lose it a little less, you know, just get two or 3% more in each of these margin, margin counties. And we win statewide. You know, that's why having this presence across all 67 counties is so, so important because if you meet somebody, you're more apt to vote for them. You know them, you have a personal connection. And it's just
1: people like you. They have to like you. And that's really what it comes down to. And I didn't even know, like, honestly, I have no idea who this person is who's in this position. I don't know who it is.
6: He's hiding from you for a reason. Oh, I'm sure. The Democratic Governors Association did a poll. He has less than 7% name ID across the state, by far the fewest of any statewide elected Democrat. Just by being in the legislature and running for Congress, I almost had a 7% name ID last December when the party was trying to recruit me to run. He's hiding from you because he has cost you money. And he knows that when people find that out, they're not going to vote for him. So he's yeah, been he hiding.
1: That he can just ride on DeSantis's coattails That's and just exactly stay Exactly
6: right. Exactly ride ride. right. That's what yeah. he did four years ago. He, he got this job by being appointed. His dad gave him a fish restaurant. Then he was appointed to the role by Rick Scott in 2017. Ugh. That's how he got this job. He's not suited for it. He's not qualified for it. And he's obviously done, based on Florida being listed as the least affordable state in the country, and property insurance companies fleeing at an alarming rate and we're in this major crisis, he has failed. He's not qualified to be the CFO of a small business, let alone a state.
0: Well, that's usually the case in a lot of things. Well, yeah.
6: But but in, in any other industry, any other company, he would have been fired a long time ago. And voters have the opportunity this November to fire him. And bring on somebody who's ready to advocate for them. And that's that's what we're trying to do.
0: The last thing I will say that I do think is to your advantage. I do think the other argument that you can make, even in very, very red areas, especially with people who you know are very likely going to vote for DeSantis, I do think that there are people who like the idea in, and and certainly been uh, tried and true over many years. People do like a little bit of mixed government. They don't want just a straight ticket being dominated by one party. And the idea that somebody like yourself who really understands what true fiscal conservatism actually means, especially when it comes to how expensive it is and how wasteful so many things can be here in Florida uh, I do think that you can really make a very good case not just with your military background but the fact that you have served in the state legislature you have a um, obviously a really good pedigree and I say he's that, not a dog he's likable
6: <laughs> oh well thanks <laughs> yeah <You> know, actually <laughs> you said something right there I said that very thing I was on WMNF a uh, local radio station here in Tampa just this morning If the legislature was all Democrat, if the Senate was all Democrat, if the governor and the rest of the cabinet were all Democrats, I would want a Republican as the CFO for checks and balances and transparency in government. But Mm -hmm. since we have a Republican House, a Republican Senate, a Republican governor, Republican attorney general, and we have for 20 years, we need a Democrat as your CFO for, for those checks and balances, for that auditing, to bring checks and balances back to government and to hold them accountable. It's how our system was designed. We've been stuck in single-party rule for 25 years. We need somebody checking up on on how our tax dollars are being spent.
0: Yeah. Guys, go to adamforflorida.com if you are concerned about what we emphasize constantly, which is the GOP's approach, which is the bottom up approach to politics, not just focusing on the top of the ticket, but focusing on the down ballot races where the margins can be met, especially for the CFO, which is probably the most important and underrated position in state politics. Mm-hmm. You want to know where the money goes or where the buck stops? This is very important. So please go to adamforflorida.com. He is our Democratic nominee. We could certainly use a nice change up in Tallahassee. Adam, can't thank you enough for coming on. I have no doubt that we will see you out and about in South Florida at some point in the near future. We'll see you Bye.
6: Thank you again so much. I appreciate it. Our pleasure, brother. Have a great night. Thanks again. Bye.
0: Bye-bye. Enjoyable.
1: Well, yeah. Well, look. You know, it's nice to have at least somebody that I would, you know, consider voting for. That's on the Democratic <laughs> ticket because right now, no, I to tell you, I'm not that motivated.
0: No, and again, that's why. Again, when you don't have a very dynamic ticket, it makes things much more difficult to get people psyched up about getting out to the polls. And after the comments that gubernatorial nominee that you can now say, Mr. Christ said about how all DeSantis voters are terrible. They have hate in their heart and I don't want them. Do you not understand how that's going to be played ad nauseum in October? First
1: of all, how did the deplorables comment go over well the first time? Because that's well, essentially what that is. Well, that's the let's, Well, let's comment.
0: remember that when Hillary made that comment, she was in like some type of a private function where she was with like minded people who hold contempt for working people. And so, so I don't, that makes it OK. I'm not saying it makes it okay. I'm just saying the point is is every
1: bit sounding as as elitist. That that's the point. It's disgusting.
0: Well, think about the time where, again, where did this all start? Those types of comments really started back in 2012 with the 47 percent comment by Mitt Romney. And of course, where was Romney when that happened? He was at a private home function in Boca Raton right down here. That's where it happened. And the same is true where a lot of these other gaps happen with a lot of these. Well,
1: look, we just had Booty Judge in a wine cellar, didn't we? Who was just in the wine he cellar? He was just
0: invited to, the, to Pelosi's wine cellar in Napa Valley, California, where they all roam.
1: Well, see, and this is why I would not support Pete. Well, there's a lot of reasons. There's so many reasons. Actually, there's so many reasons. we could. I could do like a whole rant on all the reasons why I don't like Pete Booty Judge. Well, again, if we had a fair
0: democratic I, process, there's no way a guy like that would ever be the nominee. But nevertheless, um, you know, again, I think Adam is a solid candidate. Um, he's definitely more centrist, which is fine. Again, he's not bought and paid for by the machine. Yeah,
1: that doesn't. Which again
0: is what matters.
1: There would be no point, quite honestly, in having a progressive in that position anyway.
0: No, because you need somebody. You who wouldn't
1: like it. that. Would just be well, stupid. Well, yeah, that again, wouldn't
0: work. You need somebody who really understands budgetary necessities when we're talking about state budget. You know, Steve Grumbine is talking about federal budget right. constraints that really don't exist. but you need somebody to you
1: work do. with other people Correct. that it, it, you, yeah, you All have right. to have somebody that's working within the bounds of reason.
0: But I can tell you guys that I spoke with somebody who is very involved with the Democratic Party at the local and state level, and they are feeling like this is hopeless in November.
1: Well, and again, so, it depends on for who. So it's like, that's like the same thing. Like, is he doing, is he good? Is this person good? For who? I would argue that the Democrats are serving exactly who they want to serve. There's
0: also a lot of people who feel that one of the big mistakes that Charlie is going to make, because it's somewhat of a misguided approach regarding Joe Biden. Biden has had his best bump as president and his approval rating sits at about 48%, somewhere in that range, which again... It's nothing to brag about, but it's not terrible. It's a 10 point bump from where he was. Yet, the question becomes do you want to wrap your arms around Joe campaigning in Florida? And Charlie Crist has made it very clear that he is going to wrap his arms very tight around Joe Biden, and he believes that that's going to help him win the day. I don't agree. I don't think you necessarily have to bash the president at all. Look at the way that. But it is being used in that ad over and over and over again, saying
1: "Thank God for Joe Biden." And the senator not not a good look. The
0: best senatorial candidate we have in the U.S. right now, bar none, is John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, and he is trying to thread the needle himself regarding how he's dealing with President Biden. So, if your attitude is. Joe Biden's perfect and there's nothing wrong and I'm going to go all in with him. That is not a winning message in Florida, not even close.
1: Okay, so I need to talk about the juxtaposition of this text I just got. So I just got I've been getting the robo texts like nonstop. So I just got one that's Jennifer David Hogg here. Is it Hogue? Hogue. Parkland shooting survivor and gun safety advocate, blah, 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 blah. We believe that Floridians deserve better than Marco Rubio, a man who has m- received millions of dollars in campaign help from the gun lobby. And then, of course, it goes on to suggest that I support Val Demings with a financial contribution. So the the complete cognitive dissonance with this is is mind-boggling okay so marco rubio takes money from the nra i get it that sucks and i'm not a fan of that and i think the nra is not cry- i think that they suck and all that right but val demings takes corporate money from whoever she takes corporate money for and by the way her campaign logo is a police badge shape she has been leaning so heavy she's trying to outflank
0: to- rubio yeah on- on my criminal justice. Right.
1: So the fact that Hogue is sending out this thing about, yeah, because she because Rubio takes money from the NRA, that that is the determining factor. I've but always maintained- I'm so sick of these one and, issue and listen, people. And listen,
0: I've maintained, well, again- I'm so sick of the is, one issue it people. It is what it is. <laughs> but here's the problem. Um, Val Demings is actually a good candidate. But they decided to clear the field and not even allow a primary to take place. Yeah, there were primary candidates, but there were no debates. This wasn't a real primary. Val Demings was selected to be the nominee. They got all the endorsements, all the money. Everything went right behind her from jump. They tossed Alan Ellison and Josh Wheel and even Alan Grayson aside like they didn't matter. It didn't matter.
1: um, But see, here's the thing. Here's here's the thing. I am not voting for corporate candidate. So to me, it doesn't matter who is sitting in that, like they could have picked whoever that, whoever that they were going to get behind is going to be whatever corporate tool they want to put there. Um, and so no, I don't support this person just specifically because the, her opponent takes money from the NRA. Let me find you the list of who Val Demings probably takes money from. Actually, we, I'm sure we could look that up easily for, you know, for anybody interested. But it's like, I guarantee you it it's ain't probably pretty. got
0: a lot of money from the police unions. I'm sure she does.
1: And so her little corporate donation list isn't pretty either. So I cannot stand privileged freaking people that just sit there and they're focused. One issue, if we could just solve the gun issue. And so I am so privileged in my freaking life that I can just focus on that. Forget if people have a living wage, forget the environment. I am actually willing to put a candidate in office strictly on the basis of that the opponent takes NRA money. You are such a privileged fuck. <laughs> like, I can't even. Ay, 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 ay. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I like, <laughs> just so gross.
0: Okay, well, sometimes you need to bite your tongue. So, no. Yeah.
1: No. Not happening. Not happening. No? So, anyway, uh, yeah.
0: I did just sit stop to end
1: because I I have
0: to do that regularly for all of them. But yeah. Anyway, if you're so inclined, go to patreon.com forward slash generational change and become a $5, $10, $25 a month contributor to our wonderful platform. And as you guys know, we have a lot of great guests. We will be doing a labor night, labor day night podcast. We are going to have, uh, we are looking forward to a very, very important guest. Uh, Andy Mattis, who is the head of the Teamsters local here in Broward County. And, yeah, we have to really Teamsters outside. always seem
1: so badass to me. Oh, There's I a know. very badass image of Teamsters to me.
0: Oh, no, they're definitely... Uh, well, Mattis is a big hulking oh, yeah. guy, oh, a yeah, total union guy.
1: But that could also just be happenstance. Like, I'm sure there are not not everybody who is in, like, the leadership and the team series does not necessarily, like, look like that. But. Yeah,
0: no, I definitely agree. And so at the end of the day, we're going to do what we can to keep transforming politics in the service. Can't thank Steve Grumbine enough. Obviously, a very productive conversation, as always. And, of course, thanks to Adam Hattersley for coming on. He's a very solid candidate for CFO. Maybe he could have been the nominee for governor or senator. Who knows? But we'll
1: Guys, just, you know what? I understand the defeatism, and I understand that there's nothing really exciting on the ballot, and you really don't want to get out. But at least vote for this guy for that, for CFO. You know, at least, because this is somebody sort of like how Nikki Freed was able to slide through. We might be able to get somebody in there that, you know. That's has your best a shot. Sense of your permission.
0: best shot is definitely hide or sleep. Yeah.
1: So even if you don't fill out the Especially rest.
0: Especially because Patronus is so i honestly didn't even know that that was a person in a job oh i did oh i'm mr politico all right so with that said thank you so much we will see you labor day appreciate you guys
1: bye all thanks for watching if you want to support our mission to transform politics into service Please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.